The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You are listening to the Motherhood Unstressed Podcast, and I'm your host, Liz Carlisle. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm glad that you're here, even though this isn't a topic that's easy to talk about. Uh, I think that having conversations on subjects like this, on child loss, are important because this happens to people all over the world. And when we choose to discuss the hard stuff, to bring light, to disinfect, um, I feel like it uplifts all of us. And so I'm so grateful for my guests this week, Trey and Tanya Pyle, uh, who wanted to share their story and share their daughter's legacy with us. In 2018, Trey and Tanya Pyle, their daughter Sune, and Tanya's mother Merlita were struck on the highway by a speeding tractor trailer. The horrific crash took four-year-old Sune's life and forever changed Trey and Tanya's lives after. Now in this episode, we're discussing that fateful day, how they've been able to cope with the tremendous grief of losing their daughter, and what they're doing to carry on Sune's legacy today. So yes, we are getting into some very difficult material, but there's always a glimmer of light. There's always a glimmer of hope in the darkness. And that, I think, is is the most beautiful thing that Trey and Tanya are sharing here today. They are doing this for their own healing, but also to extend a hand to anyone in the world, listening, tuning in, who may be experiencing this right now. So I hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, please share it out. And please take five seconds to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that more people who need to hear this kind of conversation can do so. Thank you. Enjoy this episode with Trey and Tanya Pyle. Well, hello, Trey and Tanya. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah. So um, if you're comfortable, would you mind sharing what happened the day of the accident? You want to do it? You have the most vivid memories of it, unfortunately. Um, well, we were we were going out of town. Um, it was like four in the afternoon, maybe three. And it was a beautiful day. We were going out of town actually to celebrate our... Um, our marriage. We were having a belated uh, wedding reception in yeah. Mississippi. My hometown. And uh, we had just picked up Sune from daycare an hour earlier, uh, so around 3 o'clock, and started heading towards Gulfport, a trip that we had taken thousands of times before. My wife, myself, Sune, and uh, my mother-in-law, Merlita, we were all in the car. So... Yeah, and um, it was um, typical Atlanta traffic. Um, rush hour starts pretty much at you know noon, so um, but it was really bad already at four o'clock, and we were on two eighty five, um, which is always pretty congested, and we were just sitting in traffic, just waiting to exit. Dead um, stop. Yeah, we were we weren't moving. Um, and 
next thing I know, um, there was just this loud, this, I, it honestly didn't even kind of click with me till much later and I started piecing things together, but it was this sudden boom, this pain throughout my whole body and, um, I came to and I was like, I look up and I'm like, where's the, where's the roof of the car? Where's the windshield? We were in an SUV. Um, and I started, I started hearing finally again, um, because it was, it was at first it was all muffled and very, you know, like you see in movies almost that, Mm -hmm. that kind of ringing and you can't hear anything. And I'm still trying to figure out as I was basically, I was um, kind of over the dash and sort of through the windshield. Like I said, it was very, where it would have been was really close to me. And I look around and I start hearing finally, and my husband is screaming, just screaming so loud. And I look at him and, um, at first thing I thought was where's the rest of the car um, because when I looked at him it looked like there wasn't any car over where he was mm. and he was covered in blood his face was covered in blood um, one of his eyes I thought was gone um, because it was just covered in blood um, glass in it glass in it mm. um and yeah, we, we had been hit. We, we found out later that we don't even recall how the accident happened. Yeah. We we really just remember the moments before. We were all sitting there laughing, giggling, having a great time. And the last thing I remember, ironically, was Sune asked the question, "When or when am I going to be a big sister? When am I going to have, have a big, big brother? brother?" Yeah, exact words. Mm. And we look back at her, and then the next thing we know, the world comes to an end. Um, so from there, um, I remember seeing my wife get out of the car. She's um, army veteran, and she went into full uh, combat mode and started like directing people to start helping us like get my husband get my daughter get my mom um most horrific memories that kind of just burns in my mind is watching tanya do cpr on sune on the side of the road um which we later learned wouldn't have done any good anyway but um yeah um we later learned that the gentleman who hit us um, had hit us at over 100 miles an hour um, in a semi. Fully loaded with, um, it was fully um, weighed down with you know, pine straw. He was um, carrying pine straw. Carrying a full load. Um, and it was, He had been going over 100 when he hit us. Um, so the investigators had informed us of um uh, GBI was involved um, in the investigation. Federal and Department of Transportation was involved, and and Georgia State Troopers were involved. Mm-hmm. Um, we found out later he was high on cocaine, morphine, and mu- muscle relaxers when he hit us. Mm-hmm. Some of the good Samaritans that helped us um, 
one was, um, he, I believe he was trained in first aid. Um, I, and like I said, this is all from fragments of mm-hmm. that day that I'm trying to make sense of. Um, but when I was doing CPR, um, I remember seeing a gentleman run over um, and he had a big duffel, which reminded me of the paramedic duffels that I had. But um, the report said that there weren't any um, off-duty paramedics there. Um, I think and, he was a trucker of all things. And I believe, yeah, we I kind of pieced together one of the main witnesses was another trucker. Um, he had said that he... He told the investigators that he was trying to, uh, he was actually in the process of calling police because um, the driver that hit us had been running him off the road and everyone else. He had seen him just driving erratically and was trying to get the police involved to stop him. And so he saw him, you know, he was like, this guy's dangerous. Uh, We need to get him off the road. Um, But it was too late. And from what the investigators told us, There's something called a regulator in trucks, and that prevents semis from going over a certain speed limit per federal law. He had removed his regulator from his truck. That's why he was capable of going so fast. And and just to give the audience some background, this this all kind of came out in the the trial that happened after um, the accident. Correct. Correct. We, We really didn't learn all this stuff immediately. So what's what's helped you through this grieving process? I mean, you would look at you, you would never know, you know, you you look you're a beautiful couple, you know, you have a beautiful new son. What has gotten you to this point to where you have been able to overcome this and you know, I know it's never ending, but what gets you through the day? Well, honestly, it it wasn't until I mean, a lot of therapy for sure. When it first, after when it first happened, we were going almost every day, um, at least three times a week. But honestly, I feel like we were just getting by for for a while. For I want to say up until about when our son was born. You go through the motions. I will say my crutch was my wife. I probably leaned into her more than Mm -hmm. I should have. But she put a lot of her own uh, pain and sorrow on the back burner to get her mom and myself through our pain, which I thank her for every day. And I'm like, we've had some deep conversations in therapy about how in the world did you not fall apart um, during that time because she was my therapist. She was my crutch. When I was literally on the floor in a fetal position crying some days, she was there to sit with me and just talk me through it. And I think in the end, we a tragedy like this could either make or break a marriage. In fact, the statistics are that a marriage that involves the death of a child is 85% more likely to end in divorce than any other marriage. And we have spent every waking moment fighting for each other and keeping each other balanced. I'm not saying that every day is heavenly and every day is good, but 
we know the kind of sources and roots of our problems, you know, related to it. I think we kind of have this, we, we often have these moments where we we're like, okay, this is basically rock bottom. Um, not just in life. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the worst thing you can imagine happens, you know, where we start fighting because you're grieving and you want to take, you just natural for humans to just take it out on whoever is around, you know, the depression just takes over. And at some point you just have to, you have to, it's like, you know, you're like, okay, I'm either just going to keep going and in go into this uh, depression and just stay there this and just live this life of of sadness and sorrow or I'm going to live and um, that was the hardest thing to come to terms with our Mm -hmm. therapist asked us early on what do you think Sune would want for you because we you live in this moment during the trial the trial brings back the harm and the emotion you know um so we um we we really had to take a long time in therapy to realize that if one of us had died in that accident not Sune we would want each other to not move on but to experience the life we were denied you know and keep going and Sune was this happy, healthy, beautiful, free spirit that would give the very yeah. shirt off her back to make anyone happy. So we knew, we knew totally that she wouldn't want us to be sad and wouldn't want us to be heartbroken. But it's easier said than done most days. Yeah. Were there were there any books or or support groups that you could recommend to someone listening who might have lost a child recently? Um, Motherhood unstressed CBD. A ton of that helped. Product placement. Yeah. Now, but I, I was definitely actually making several orders um, to help me kind of get through the depression, help with my sleep, anxiety. That was the hard part is sleeping and not going back to the accident. And I swear the CBD. Mm put us in a non, non-aggressive dream-like state. So our dreams were usually happy, content, when we were taking CBD very, very religiously. And um, mm-hmm. it helped us through the nightmares. Not saying that the medications our doctors prescribed didn't help, but um, the, the, uh, the CBD definitely helped us in the long run. And. As far as support groups, we we tried, but we had a hard time finding um, some around us. Um, even that that really kind of worked because it was the situation was. I don't know. I say it was. I don't know. It just didn't. Nothing really felt right. Um, we we thought about some at our church. Um, it was just kind of hard to do. I mean, once again, therapy was probably our biggest um, thing. And 
I think we found, you know, we had friends, um, neighbors that really helped us through um, this awful time. Neighbors we didn't even know, and they came out and Mm. helped us when they found out what happened. Um, We made great friends, and we're so grateful for them to have been there. We found other ways to kind of cope, cope, like (laughs) I got into video games, which I had never had before, which I'm not even sure if that's healthy or not. (laughs) Um, I was never never into video games and that kind of... We we (laughs) found hobbies, which was interesting because our therapists really pushed that on us. It Mm -hmm. was like, look, you've got to find a way to channel this negative energy. Uh, And we met people through that Mm -hmm. and we met others and and it's kind of like we were ended up being pushed to people because of those things that we started taking on those hobbies we started doing and we met other people who had um had terrible tragedies lost children and and you know met in such odd ways and we were like how did this happen um you know so it just and it almost made you really feel like okay there's someone something out there pushing us towards others who are going through this and um it was it was very life-changing because we would get into one hobby or do go to a bookstore or go out to eat and it always happened we'd encounter someone that we're like I our lost. server who yeah. lost a, a child, um, you know, uh, uh, our, the, gro- our grocery store manager. He became a dear, a dear friend because his, he lost a child and too. He was, he, uh, unfortunately it'd been quite a while, Yeah, but I kind of felt like with him, it was like, he was like this, elder father who grieved the loss of his child. It had been like a decade, I think, Mm -hmm. um, since the death of his daughter, which was also sudden and completely unexpected. And, um, but he was always, he and, um, his wife were always there for us. Um, and it's like, they just understood, which is hard to find, you know, your friends can be there as much as possible, but, Unless Until someone's been through it, yeah. You have no idea. And it's not any, we don't want this for anyone. And no. as um, our the grocery store manager that we met, he said it's a, a club that no one wants to be a part of. And um, it definitely is. Do you feel like Sune's presence is with you um, in moments like these? I mean, you kind of said you feel like there's something greater there happening. I don't believe in coincidences. And so many things during the most depressing moments of our life would happen. Um, We would have... Especially immediately after. after we would we would have lights turn on and off in our house. Yeah. We would hear giggling in her playroom. Mm. Um, because we left her playroom alone for about a year. We couldn't couldn't bring ourselves mm-hmm. to touch her room or do anything. The TVs would turn, would turn on. Randomly. Um, ironically, too, her favorite, favorite shows. channels and shows, mm. which 
there's we were one of the most powerful experiences we were waking up one morning the remotes were on the far end of the bedroom and literally we got out of bed and all of a sudden this tv tv kicks on and it's her favorite cartoon and i'm looking at anya i'm looking around Mm -hmm. and the remotes are literally Mm -hmm. literally across the room yeah so one time we came home and we had just adopted two kittens and we just randomly grieving do some spur of the moment stuff and we got these two kittens and um we came home and once again the remotes were actually up so it wasn't like they accidentally turned it on and we see them sitting on the edge of the bed staring up at the tv and it almost looked as if there was somebody in between them like with their arms around the kittens and the kittens were just sitting there watching her favorite, one of her favorite shows, mm-hmm. Shimmer and Shine. And they were just like watching it. And we came, we were like, what is going on? And, but we always, it became so, so comforting to us. And, and what the most comforting thing for, for us, I think, is we went through IVF to have another child because our bodies were so damaged. So IVF was the only way we were going to have kids and failure after failure was hitting an IVF. It's not a guarantee. Um, and, um, we, um, when we finally did get pregnant and they called us and said, it's a boy that was chilling because again, the most vivid memory we have is right before impact her asking, when am I going to have a baby brother? So, this episode is brought to you by Sambacol. Sambacol Black Elderberry is the original black elderberry supplement. Black elderberry, if you didn't already know, has been used for centuries in traditional folk remedies and it's prized for its anti-inflammatory properties and high antioxidant content. I first came across black elderberry in Ireland and I fell in love with it there. As a busy mom, I cannot afford to be down for the count. I need to feel strong, healthy, and I want support for my immune system, and that's where Sambacol comes in. So Sambacol makes it super easy to feel your best all year round. If you are interested in trying them out for yourself and your family, head on over to sambacolusa.com and be sure to use my code MOTHER15 to save 15% off your order. And if you need any recommendations on which products to choose, they're all great, but my personal favorite are the gummies. They're actually my kids' favorites too, so I just pop them in first thing in the morning uh, with the rest of my supplements, and I'm good to go. So when we found out it was a boy, we um, kind of looked at each other and was like, your sister had a hand in this. It was a, we didn't realize how much of a kind of a miraculous pregnancy it was. Our son... I think it was, I was about seven weeks um, along. I was, it was right before I was supposed to go in for one of my blood, um, blood draws um, at the IVF clinic. And uh, I woke up one morning and I had severe bleeding, severe. Um, I was, I just knew I was like, I, it didn't like I'm losing the baby. Mm. And we go in, um, and ultrasound, everything's fine. But I had lost so much blood. I was like, I don't know how this, how the baby could survive. But we kept saying, we kept, I remember we kept praying to her 
on the way to the clinic saying, talk to her, be like, please. please make sure your baby brother or sister, we didn't know at the time at seven weeks, please make sure they're okay. And literally the doctors were like, we can't see any sign of bleeding. There's no sign of bleeding. He tucked in there all nice and safe. There he is. And, um, you know, we later on, he, he was, we had to induce a little early. Um, he wasn't getting any bigger. He stopped developing. He stopped developing. Um, his heart rate was fine. And, you know, if, if anyone's ever, um, had a high risk pregnancy, they know you go frequently to those visits and, um, IVF is always high risk is what they, is what they call it. So, and I kept going to the maternity ER and I was just like, something's not right. Something's not right. Well, we found out after he was born, um, cause they could never find anything, but we found out after he was born, um, like immediately after, um, the midwife saw the, he had knotted his umbilical cord and that's why he stopped growing. And we learned how rare that was for him to survive. Um, because looking at it, that happened probably for a month before. And, um, he was small. He was small, but he was fine. fine. He passed every test. He, Went home on a normal schedule. Um, he was just, he was small. And we, we you know, we thought about it afterwards. Because I was like, wait a minute. Wow, he he really has defied the odds. And, and um, one of the things that when Sune was alive, um, she was uh, my stepdaughter. Um, and she would... Because <laughs> she would, for gosh, probably a, a year and a half before um, she was killed, she would frequently ask, When is she going to be a big sister? And at, at some point, I think at school, they started learning about maybe like mommies and days being pregnant, or I think possibly because some of the teachers were pregnant. And because she would, she came home and she was very obsessed with, um, she was like pregnancy and she was like, Mm. is my baby brother in there yet? Or, um, (laughs) she would say, uh, I grew in your tummy. And that was something she said very frequently to Tanya, to me. Mm. And she, she kept like coming up to my, she hugged me and like, um, put her hand on my stomach and be like, I grew in your tummy. And as her stepmother, I was trying to walk a fine line there because I didn't, I didn't want to hurt her feelings, but I didn't want to cause any trouble with her birth mother, um, and I didn't want her to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm, I'm, I know, sweetheart, but well, you didn't exactly grow in my tummy, but you grew in my heart, mm-hmm. and. I said, you know, I told her that she grew in her other mommy's tummy. And she'd fight me and she'd say, no, no, I didn't. And she'd say, I grew in your tummy. And um, so this, you know, kind of went on and, and she got so upset. So I was like, okay, fine. you grew in my tummy. And she stopped and she thought and she looked, she, she looks at me for a second and she goes, well, how am I supposed to fit in your tummy with my baby brother? 
And I said, what do you mean? She, um, she believed that she had to go back. She said, I've got to go back in your tummy to help my baby brother grow. Mm. And that stuck with us through that the stuck whole, with us. The, the whole idea yeah. process. And I didn't think about it until later, you know, after her death, it, it, it warmed my heart, you know, to, it was so cute. But then after Gabriel was born, I realized, what if she knew? Mm. What if some part of her some knew part of that her she like, had to protect she, him? She will be going back in my tummy, mm-hmm. in her, you know, her spirit would be there to help protect her baby brother. And, and the funny thing is, he acts just like her. Yes. It's like watching her grow up all over again. Mm, wow. Well, I'm so thrilled that, you know, you, Gabriel is in your lives. And, and that's just an incredible story that you'll share with him. And, and you're sharing it now with people all over the world. I mean, it's just, I think it anything is possible. You know, there's we just don't know, you know, what is possible. Um, you've started a, a foundation for Sune. It, what, can you tell us a little bit about that and what else you, you intend for her, her legacy to be? I, um, she was getting ready to go to St. Catherine of Siena Catholic School. Uh, she had just got accepted into the school and was about to start kindergarten right before um, you know this all started. And that was a big accomplishment for her. She was so proud of it. And... Um, um, we had set money aside to pay for it cause private school's not cheap and all this other stuff. And, um, after the accident, we wanted to make sure that in her name and in her memory that we told them to keep the, the, mo- the, the money, money that we had to given thus far and planned on making more, uh, get more donations and ask them to set up a scholarship fund. And since this scholarship mm. fund over four years ago, uh, we've lost count, but I want to say it was at least six kids have gone to this school in her name. We um, actually got to meet um, one of them. One of them and the grandmother, she actually, she kind of sought us out um, for one of um, the memorial, the memorial events, events that the school had put on in her memory. She wanted to come and thank us because... Um, her daughter had already been going to St. Catherine's. Granddaughter. Her granddaughter had already been going to St. Catherine's. And um, their father had, um, they had gone through some financial um, troubles, um, medical. It was just very unexpected. And they, the daughter wasn't going to be able to go back to St. Catherine's because of it. And... Um, they were actually getting ready to like uh, do like take her out and everything. And the school called her and said, um, we have a scholarship that um, will pay for that her, will full pay ride. For her, her tuition. And mm-hmm. um, she was so thankful for it. And, and she came to us and it, it really made it special to know that her legacy so many people never even met her, and um, they they really just we've had so many adore kids. Her. <laughs> we, yeah, we we've had so many kids, even preteens, because the the school goes up to eighth grade. Mm-hmm. We've had some 
the older kids come to us out of the blue and say she was one of ours. She was yeah. one of us. And I'm they were like, so very touched by by her. Yeah. And yeah. They they would they put on these memorial um, services and with no reservation. It was like mm-hmm. we're doing this for you, and you know you can either come or not, but we're still doing it. Yeah, and we we want to um, continue doing work. Um, We've been talking about doing a foundation um, in her name. Um, one of the things that she was very uh, adamant about was children who, and this was gosh, probably the weekend right before the accident, the accident um, we taught her about donating toys that you no longer play with. And this was, it was kind of more of a, a learning situation. Like you have a lot of toys. Let's try and declutter some of this. And, and so, yes, we explained to her, you know, I was like, there's some kids that they don't have toys. Their, their parents work really hard, but they can't afford to, they still can't afford to provide toys for their children. And that resonated with her so much. And, we told her just to pick 10 toys. She picked probably a hundred toys. She filled up multiple boxes. She, and she'd go around the house. She said, this is going to make another kid really happy. This will make another kid really happy. And, um, you know, we, uh, when we came back from, I said, we still had those, those toys boxed up. And so, but when we took them for donation, it, it meant even more then, but, we, we're still working on trying to figure out how to get started with a foundation. But um, after having Gabriel and, you know, with Sune's interest of helping others in need, you know, I've, I've learned so much about um, mothers and who can't provide for their babies and it breaks our heart to think of any mother or, you know, any parent with a little, little one and they can't provide simple things like, um, formula if they're not, you know, not being breastfed or they can't provide diapers. Um, and those are such mm-hmm. necessities and these little infants are, Going without. Going without, and they're not to blame for any of it. And so we're working on something like that. We're also working on a campaign, um, a letter-writing campaign with uh, for Congress. Um, to, to, change, to change trucking laws. We learned, you know, we, we learned mm-hmm. that this gentleman had a, a criminal history, and we were like, how did he get a CDL? And he had a quote-unquote, brief window of good behavior. And in that situation... They only go back a very few years. Yes. And it was a small window in which he was capable of getting a CDL. And we learned that trucking laws hadn't been changed in a long time. So we wanted to work with Congress on making safer laws, more updated common-sense laws. Mm-hmm. And that that's another action that we're trying to take in that Especially in how easy it is for just anyone to, no matter their background, whether, um, like in in our instance, he had 
many felonies and um he had actually he been in an accident previous before yeah, before just months per, before, before he us. had um injured another couple mm. um but in, in the amount of training is very, very minimal. minimal so um you know certain companies require more uh training than others and we would like to just see that federally like across the board these these uh that no matter how big or how small your company is these are the rules you need to abide by to be to have safe truckers because you know we have we don't have anything against truckers i mean Mm -hmm. truckers helped us on that day yeah but um and and I, I believe I've talked to other truckers. They agree that it's a very the job. They have such a responsibility to everyone else out on the road. In addition to the job that they're doing, because I mean they're driving these massive massive vehicle. vehicles that can do so much damage and very much do mm-hmm. um, have have taken many lives have altered so many families and lives and they they support us we 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 hold no ill will towards anyone and um and in that regards i would we both just want to see families not go through what we've gone through to put a higher standard and a better quality on the road in sune's name Yeah. yeah have you been able to forgive the trucker who took sune's life Next question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, we, our therapist has taught us to forgive for our sake. I know it's going to take time. I, I, I think uh, what we mm. kind of both agreed on was it's not for us to forgive. Yeah. Um, if you're religious at all or if anyone is religious, then mm-hmm. that is for you know God or whoever. He's got a he's got to answer to a higher power than us, yeah. and mm-hmm. I'm not. We we're we're not giving him yeah. the energy to think about him daily yeah. anymore. For the first year, we were obsessive, and that took a lot out of yeah. us. And, and that's where therapy came in to say, mm-hmm. "You've got to let him go," you know. Mm-hmm. And we did. It, we ultimately did. And you know? I mean. It was. It took yeah. how many years to finally get almost four years just for the the court the court decision for us to finish it. I mean, we just finished wow. it in August, September, August, September of last yeah. year, and you know this incident, the accident, the collision, him, you know, taking Sune from us and completely altering our lives. Me not being able to work ever again, you know. My mother not being able to work ever again. Having a 40-year career snatched from her. Me having to change, you know, not employment, but change the conditions of my employment, which I was very lucky that my my agency provided me every, you know, ability to do that. But some people aren't as lucky in this world, I mean, you know? It, it took, what, thir- three years is that i don't even yeah but it took years for us to for it because it was constant motion after motion of and constantly being told in the courtroom which was very hard which was a hearing it was an unfortunate accident even the day of of his guilty plea his plea deal his guilty Mm. plea it was still 
this was an unfortunate accident, but I'm sorry, but I can't see that as an accident. Mm. That's exactly what the judge said when she sentenced him. She said, we're, we're a country of laws and our decisions on how we abide by those laws are, have consequences. consequences. And I thought that even that one brief sentence by her was moving. You know, it was, it, she didn't say much to him. She didn't have words for him. You could tell the judge was angry because she's a mother too. And he'd been a trucker for over 40 years. So he knew better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's, that just trying to get away with it by saying, Oh, it was an unfortunate accident. He literally got behind the wheel of an 18 wheeler, wheeler, like high on drugs and, and you know, that's not an accident. That's not, that was that's your choice. That point. Yeah, that was you your made choice. A choice, and we're not quite there in the forgiveness part. <laughs> but I still hold on to the fact. I mean, there was very little remorse, and and we, if any, I think from from him, and that, you know, that stuck with me. I, I think there's, you know, if somebody had done it, if he had been the type of person who like yeah. I messed up, and I. I'm sorry. This right. Had he not dragged this out for three and a half, four he, years and owned it from the get-go. Then, then he then maybe there could have been room, but even to the very end he He was still mad defi- he was mad at us. Defiant. Mad at us for being there on his you know, the day of his uh sentencing and everything. He so. he he would always give us dirty looks every time he saw us in court. Oh jeez. So, yeah. Well, you know, I'm I'm so I'm so grateful for both of you that that is now put away that uh, he is put away, actually. Um, but just to kind of to end the interview and, and leave the listener with a parting thought, what what would you say to someone who may, you know, any parent, but maybe someone who has lost a child of their own, what would you say that you wish someone would have said to you when this first happened? I hate to say it, but actually someone, the, the our grocery store friend, Bill Laird, said, this is your new normal. It's not an easy, because you're hoping someone tells you, you'll get through this or this will magically get better. No, what we needed Mm -hmm. to hear, at least I needed to hear, I don't know about Tanya, was someone to tell us the cold, honest truth. And that's for me when I started to engage in therapy more, like actually mentally and emotionally engage with therapy, not just be physically present, um, was going, this is my life. I don't, I don't get to be okay with people who, like we talked about people who don't know it's, um, you know, they'll say it'll get better or it'll get back. You know, things will get back to the way they were. They won't. Mm-hmm. No. Um, we still have our nights where we wake up crying. It happens, but they're not every night, you know? And, and I think for me, mm-hmm. for me, it's, it's, um, if you've lost, anyone really um and you feel like it's it's really bringing you down you know that depression just takes over I wish I had kind of learned earlier on and I think you definitely you know you finally started seeing it towards you know more recently but um to live for them and you know if you've lost someone anyone whether it's your child or so, and parent, 
you know, sibling, anyone that's close to you, a best friend, um, it, and it really affects you, you, you'll start to feel like you don't want to live anymore or that you can't go on anymore. And you want to live in this forever mournful state. What's the point? You ask yourself, why should I keep going? It's, I mean, it, we could get really dark about how it got for us, but eventually we realize that we have to live for them. Like, um, I recently heard from a TV show that said, what, I can't, I, what better way to fight against death than to live? And that was NCIS. No, no, no. That was uh, Wheel of Time. Wheel of Time. That's right. <laughs> I have to say, we, 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 we learned some days to ignore the depression. You have to binge watch Netflix yeah, or, or have, Amazon is, Prime. Or, we watched so many shows. And, and being a couch potato is therapy, too, our therapist has said. Sometimes it takes us... You know, takes you out. Yeah, if you're like, if you can just get yourself out of bed and and watch TV in the living room, that's better than what that you were, you were doing. doing. Yeah, just, you know. Yeah. Well, that's incredible, Trey and Tanya. Thank you so much for for getting raw and open about your story. Um, I know. I mean, just knowing you guys for so long, like I, I've been there. You know, since it happened, I just my heart breaks for you still. Um, but I'm grateful that you, you know, wanted to tell tell your story because I know that it's uplifting so many others through that. So thank you, truly, from the bottom of my heart. Thank you, thank you. and thank you to your viewers for listening. You have been listening to the Motherhood Unstressed podcast. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.